0: Is to be champions.
1: Oklahoma, Nintendo. Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Alan Kenny, co host of Through the Keyhole, fueled by Vanessa House in Oklahoma City. And it's time for my annual Red River Shootout Show with Beaumont Jones, uh, host of ESPN's The Right Time, as well as HBO's Game Theory with Beaumont Jones. Let's go ahead and welcome him on. Bo, how you doing, man?
0: Hey, man, all good over here. How about
1: yourself? (laughs) Well, you know, you and I have been doing these uh, shows for a long time now, man, every year. And uh, this is the first time uh, the roles have been uh, reversed here with the way OU's coming in this game.
0: I mean, I'm trying to think of when the last time was that Oklahoma came into this game unranked. Is it what,
1: 2009?
0: Yeah, probably. If not then, 2005?
1: Yeah, that's what we're looking at. So I mean, something like that, right? I think it'd be two thousand nine, probably. You know, and uh, yeah, you know, coming off OU's coming off like just a you know blistering defeat at the hands of the uh, TCU Horn Frogs last week that was uh, over, oh man, within about five minutes. Um, I I need you to explain to me. I mean, you know, I realize that maybe you're kind of off the Texas narcotic at this point, but you do have some experience, right, with like. The process of watching these, you know, coaching oh, yeah. eras start and stop. I mean, you know, OU's had three coaches since 1999, and one of those was a fairly seamless transition. You know, from Bob Stoops, Lincoln Riley. I, I, I need you to walk me through this process. Like, what am I going to be feeling?
0: Well, I think the thing that makes this probably so strange for Oklahoma fans is that this was still kind of supposed to be part of the same transition. Like, we're still staying in the House of Stoops in order to do this. Like, I think it's one thing that's interesting about Venables is that when he left, it's easy for us to forget right now, but it was time for him to go. Like, he's a really good coach, but I don't think that anybody was really that upset at that time, because it was like a It's about time for this guy to go. It's about time to bring somebody back in. Now, how good of Oklahoma's defense has been since he left? That's a completely different discussion. But I don't think anybody thought it was going to be the case where you're giving up 55 at home, right? Like that is – I mean Oklahoma's been as unbeatable at home in the last 20 years as just about anybody has been. I don't think anybody saw that part happening. So the question becomes for Oklahoma is – What's supposed to be different about the Venables era, except for the fact that you weren't looking for different. You were kind of looking for the same. Like you didn't change coaches <laughs> yeah. because something was wrong. You changed coaches because the guy went and got another job. So like what exactly do you do from there? What are the problems that Venables is probably seeing themselves as having to try to fix? Like I don't have great answers for those questions, but I know that feeling of what it had to be like to watch TCU march up and down on you at home. <laughs> uh-huh. and You're like, we have we've never felt like this before.
1: Yeah, well, technically we were playing at TCU, but the oh, that's right. but the week Sorry, be- it, was, it was Kansas State. Kansas State, yeah. I mean, so it's one, one, It's not exactly that different, honestly, man. Uh, yeah, that was kind of, I think, the, uh, you know, Venables was supposed to get in and fix the defense, but maybe it's just a longer fix than people were expecting, you know? I mean, I guess here, here's one question, though, that I have for you because – I think, you know, I know you and I have talked offline a little bit about, it, but like how upset should Oklahoma fans have been about Lincoln Riley leaving? Like, set aside whatever we've seen five five games into the Brent Venables era, like how big of a loss for the program do you think Riley was?
0: Well, it's an unprecedented sort of transition. He and Brian Kelly in the same offseason leaving jobs like they left four other jobs where they did not go to school. Right. So you could go back and look at, say, Johnny Majors leaving Pittsburgh to go to Tennessee. Right. right. Like that there's a pull there. Right. And normally when you have these sorts of things, there's some sort of pull. It's the reason why people still have the dream that Dabble will be dumb enough to take the Alabama job after <laughs> Saban retires. Right. Yeah. It's like the idea of the pull. But there never been anything like this on top of it. You had this happen un- in an unprecedented way in a time where guys can just leave, right? And so yeah. your soon-to-be great quarterback just leaves and goes with him. That wouldn't have been a real risk at another point, at a previous point in time if this sort of thing would have happened. Right. Um, so I think that it's possible that you get this in a couple of years and it gets better. But my buddy RJ Young makes a very good point about this, which is it's easy for Oklahoma fans to lose sight of the fact that you've had generational quarterback play really for the better part of 20 years not every single year right but jason white it i would consider to have been generational quarterback play right like right. In, in, if he had never blown out the knees we're having all, like a completely different discussion um bradford you talk about him you talk about Kyler murray you talk about baker mayfield like that's a lot of years with really good quarterbacks and caleb williams look like he could be the next guy to be on that trajectory and now you got dylan gabriel and he seems like a nice kid He's like a nice dude, right? Like I'm sure that I would enjoy having dinner with him, but he ain't those guys. And that's nothing that he needs to apologize for, but that can make up for a lot. That can make up for some defenses that weren't what they had been in previous times. And you just don't have a quarterback that's going to be able to do that.
1: He's missing throws that guys like Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield made with ease, you know? And and that keeps the drive going. Then you're you're not putting the defense right back on the field, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just... Texas had good quarterback play literally for 16 years in a row, from 94 to 2009, from the first year of James Brown to the last year of Cole McCoy. They had good quarterback play. Now, don't get me wrong. they didn't always mean they have good football play. But they always had good quarterback play. And, man, it hits you when suddenly you don't have that anymore. And so there'd been a couple of hiccups there, but Stoops had always been good at figuring out in the time of that hiccup what it is that we're going to do to get this straight stoops is also make maybe underrated somehow when we start thinking about like that pantheon of hall of fame level coaches it can be easy for us to forget just how good he was and a revolutionary figure in the big 12 by hiring mike leach like he is that guy it matters you're asking for a lot man and so oklahoma when you really go back and look at it i think it's easy to forget they've had all this success for literally no good reason (laughs) Like, there's nothing about Oklahoma that you can point to to explain why it is they've been so good other than, wait, they really would like to be very good. They're still fighting off that dust ball, baby. They want to be great. But that's it. There's no built-in advantage to being the coach at Oklahoma. And so you're going to have some years maybe where this winds up happening. It's just been a really long time since they've had one of these.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's part of the thing, though, about Oklahoma is you mentioned that institutional will like Oklahoma is kind of an anomaly in the sense that, you know, there's not a big in-state recruiting base. You got Dallas, maybe, I don't know, a couple couple hours south of Norman, Uh, you know, and Dallas. I mean, that's a tough one because you got a lot of different schools feeding off that plate. You know, I mean, like it's just uh, I mean, you know, looking ahead, that's got to be something that is going to be on Oklahoma fans' mind, I guess, is what I'm saying, as they, as they transition to the SEC, right?
0: Yeah, well, I think the question is going to be, is this going to make it easier for you to get players out of Atlanta and out of Florida, which is, to me, these two recruiting – and this is the same thing for Texas, by the way, because they got to figure out some way to get players from outside of Texas because geographically, the cool thing about coaching Texas is it's in Texas. The problem is Texas isn't close to anything. Right? This isn't a driving distance from anybody else, but Atlanta weirdly, is kind of a no-man's land. like, don't get me wrong. If Georgia wants the best player out of Atlanta, Georgia's probably going to get the best player out of Atlanta, but they don't always want the best player out of Atlanta, or all those guys that are there. <laughs> OU has recruited in Atlanta over the years and done you know fairly decent, like on top of my head, these aren't like the greatest players in the world, but like they got to sharp choice. Out yeah. of Atlanta, they got, I think Duke Robinson's the guy that jumps out, but Oklahoma's mm-hmm. always been able to recruit nationally, which is why I think they'll do well when the SEC comes, because they have the infrastructure in place to get these guys from these other spots. But they had to make, both of those schools I thought had to make the move to the SEC to get players, because once A&M came into Texas, the rest of the SEC was like, ooh, players. Like when Greg Little was the number one player in Texas and went to Ole Miss, everybody had to look around and be like, yo, what? where are we supposed to get guys? Right, Because you're not going to get the best player in Louisiana. He's going to go to LSU. You're not going to get the best player in Alabama. He's going to go to Alabama or Auburn, depending upon what part of the state he's in. Texas has never tried to recruit Florida, so they're not really going to get those guys, though Oklahoma absolutely has done that and made those moves. And so for the new world order for them is going to be, how do we get these guys in the footprint of the SEC and stop the drain of basically the best players in Texas? going to the SEC West, and going to Ohio State. How do you do that? And to me, that's where the future of all of this happens to lie. And you know it had to be a big deal for Texas to give up all that power. They fought so yeah. hard to counterproductively get into Big 12 and <laughs> then decide to go somewhere. I mean, the biggest to me, the biggest insult to Texas in particular, maybe somewhat Oklahoma, but not really, but the biggest insult to Texas is nobody in the SEC was threatened by the idea of letting them in right keeping in mind that texas has always been threatened by the idea of letting houston into the big 12 the sec was (laughs) like texas oh yeah we're good
1: (laughs) yeah it's funny i was because i was talking with uh, Stephen godfrey about this and he was kind of mentioning he kind of looked at like you know, a lot of times when the SEC has made these moves, it's been like with a plus one, you know what I mean? Like, yes, we're bringing in Texas AM and okay we'll take Missouri, you know, <laughs> St. Louis and he's kind of like, we'll bring in Oklahoma and we'll take Texas. It's like, well, I mean, yeah, this is a little bit different, but still, you know, like like you mentioned, nobody was thinking, oh, no, here comes Texas into the SEC. Like and, you know, I guess, you know, looking back at the last, what, 10, 12 years, I mean, you kind of understand, right? um yeah
0: what's what's there to fear about (laughs) them at this point
1: yeah no I got you I got you but I guess so I guess uh, I mean so in in that respect is do you do you look at Venables I mean like let's set aside what he's necessarily doing on the field this year I mean would you rather have a guy like Venables running the show for you going into the SEC or would you rather have a Lincoln Riley
0: well, let us not forget you guys weren't that pleased with Lincoln Riley when he headed out. He He's a bit flawed, right? Like, it's easy to go back right now and be like, oh, we lost Lincoln Riley. But, yet yeah, he is a bit of a leech guy in the sense that, man, I can't, we can't play no defense. <laughs> like, like, what exactly is going on that stops us? You know, and Alex Grinch was, look, you can put together a defense at Wazoo. You can put together a defense, right? Like, and I don't think he had bad defenses there necessarily, but, man, coach a defense in the Big 12 is a monster. And that is actually where I do wonder if there will, I don't want to say if advantage is the right word, but it'll be interesting to see how Texas and Oklahoma play defense in the SEC, because honestly they've had to deal with a level of schematic excellence that they're not going to have to deal with in the SEC. Like the SEC is getting it done more so on the basis of players. Now, whether they're going to be able to get the dudes at scrimmage, that are going to be able to get it done. I'd feel better about Oklahoma doing that than Texas, right? But that's where I think it's going to go. And that's what I think it's going to come down to with Venables, man. If you can win these games at the line of scrimmage, everything else is going to wind up taking care of itself.
1: Right. And see, that's the funny thing is that, you know, I think that you're the only person that I've talked to, like, nationally, who, like, looked at the situation with Riley and was like, you know, he's not exactly, like, all he's cracked up to be in the sense that, you know, You can go into the Big 12 and, you know, you got a great quarterback like Caleb Williams or Kyler Murray, you know, you can kind of roll it it out there and, you know, have a great offense and that's good enough. But, man, there were so many cracks that started showing up that last season there.
0: And that's what Venables is inherited, we have to keep in mind. I think that's the hard part for people to think of is they don't pay enough attention to Big 12 football to be able to look at OU and realize You know, Lincoln might have sold high on what it was that he had done. His best success were with the other guys' teams. And I don't care if he was there on the staff or not. That's Bob Stoops, right? Like, his best success was with the other guys' teams. And then what do you do now, right? Like, now it was your chance to kind of put it together. So he goes to USC. And, I mean, look, you take Lincoln Riley and put him on that campus, it's a much easier sell. And now they got a reason to keep the best players in California. Then once you can do that, like, it's not going to be nearly as difficult. But he was not – this, this job that Venables was handed was not a – it's not as great a job as one would think. It might be a great job a couple of years down the line, but I do feel confident in saying they're going to be able to get players. And once they can get players and they get that quarterback, everything else takes care of itself.
1: Oh, okay. That makes you feel better then. <laughs> <All> right, <man. laughs> well, let's talk It's about-
0: funny because I look at Texas and I'm like, I'm not sure they're going to be able to get
1: players. Really? Now, see, like, I figure, you know, it seems like a lot of people think the, I mean, look, Texas, first of all, Texas has always been able to get players, get highly rated guys, you know, I, you know, and especially developing them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Or like, I kind of think, I don't know, I've always kind of had this theory that like the Texas ends up landing a lot of guys who want to be Texas football players, But they don't necessarily want to play football for Texas, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Yes. Like, like, they're not exactly getting the guys who are like, man, you know, I'm going to Texas so I can get to the NFL and, you know, win a bunch of like, I think there's a lot of like, kind of like selling the Texas experience and network, you know, afterwards. And that's not necessarily the kind of guys who are you want to necessarily go to war with when you're trying to win national championships, you know.
0: Yeah, I also think that part of what happens with Texas on this is the state overdevelops players, right? Like they have access to so many, so many resources and everything that you don't have in high school that they wind up getting a bunch of overdeveloped dudes. I think there's also just the weirdness of all the surrounding things with Texas booster culture, yeah, um, and everything that winds up, you know, coming with that. Like I think, I think that's a big part of it. But I think the other thing that happens is. You got this base of high school football coaches whose asses everybody has to kiss, which then stops you from doing, like, take, for example, what Ohio State did once Urban Meyer got there. Guys, Ohio has a lot of fine players, and we'd probably like to have the best five or six of them. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
0: But if you guys want to win, like you say you want to win, we're going to have to go get these dudes from other places, right? It's no shame, but we're not going to be able to get it strictly done. Like, if you think about this right now, other than maybe LSU, and LSU's success has been somewhat sporadic, ain't nobody getting this done just recruiting local. The stakes are too high now. Nobody's doing that. Like Saban's not getting this done. Like Saban barely recruits Atlanta, for example, and it's right up the street. You're not getting this done recruiting strictly locally. And so Texas is going to – somebody's going to have to have a real heart-to-heart with those local guys and get them to understand, guys, we love you. We love all, everything that you guys do but we can't just take every single one of your players anymore. It's not It's not going to be the way that we do it. And by the way, you're not even sending us all of your players anymore. So w- w- why are we so concerned and why are we so worried about this? But imagine what it's like to be Texas and the border state, Louisiana with all those players, you can't get anybody unless you want. And that's why I worry about whether or not they're actually going to be able to get players. The other thing about Oklahoma has been because of the nature of having to do so much national recruiting, they take chances, Right. <laughs> Texas doesn't really like to take chances on guys. They're getting – like you – when every time somebody was like, oh, man, they didn't get – I didn't recruit Robert Griffin. They didn't recruit Johnny Manziel. They didn't recruit this whole list of guys. And I was like, man, half the Big 12 didn't recruit those yeah, guys, if we're going to be honest.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right? That
0: but A&M good. will take it got, – A&M got to take a chance on a Manziel because they don't have access to enough guys. Art Brows got – robert griffin to go to houston and go to baylor right like you have to look like that at texas the coaches never really have to look like that it's like they basically just go to the rivals list and be like oh who are the best players and at the high, at the height of things oh we just get all the best dudes even tom herman in 2018 basically just got all the best players on the rivals list like you can do that getting this done like you look at a dude like Savin where of course it's fours and five stars and then they'll get an occasional three star
1: but the three star will be josh jacobs yeah <laughs> yeah or some but just the three monster. star becomes yeah. somebody yeah yeah, exactly, and then, and but you know, and that's the thing too is they've been selling like, yeah, you come to Alabama, you stay here for what three four years, chances are you're going to be going to the NFL on the other side of it, you know. I mean, yeah. it's a yeah, it's just a different thing, and I guess like that's my the one thing about Venables like. I, I do feel like, I mean, he's gone in, he's gotten, you know, he hired Clemson's defensive line coach away. And I mean, you've seen the Clemson's defensive lines, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like th- those are the kinds of moves that make me pretty, make me optimistic about the future. It's just that, man, right now, this this sucks early in the yeah, last two yeah. weeks well, happened, man.
0: Well, we're going to figure out exactly what kind of recruiter Venables is because I say they're going to be able to get players, but the one trick bag about Clemson is they really haven't recruited at the high level that you would think. Where they recruited at the high level was quarterback, and they had two quarterbacks that are going to be better than anybody that they'll ever get again, and that's nobody's fault because they had generational-level talent at quarterback. But I just – look, man, even John Blake got players, right? The whole point of getting him there was to get players, but he left – I mean. We can overstate a bit that what impact he had on the 2000 team because it's not like he recruited hyper or anything like that, right? But there was a foundation there that was still set for them to have players when Stoops finally showed up. And I think one way or another, they're going to figure out how to get players. But Oklahoma also has typically done well recruiting players in California. Now that's where the Lincoln-Riley thing is going to stink. I'm like, yeah, good luck with that now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I don't know, man. I kind of feel like I like the idea of selling the SEC in California, too, though, man, like because, you know, those Pac-12 teams, man. I mean, I've been watching. Now I've watched more Pac-12 this season than I have in like 10 (laughs) years, you know. But man, those Pac-12 teams, they're just not good, man. So I guess we'll we'll find out. We'll find out. Um, No. And
0: by the way, Texas should have quarterbacks for at least the next three, four years. Should
1: yeah. Should. Well, yeah. So you're you're not an Arch Man-y truther. No, because the
0: the reports that I've read about him, and I try to avoid getting all invested in recruits because it's unfair to the kids. Um, but if the issue with Arch is we don't know if he can get it done on the move, he's toast. Yeah. You know, yeah. now this boy with the mullet, I'm I, I am intrigued by him, right? Like if if the if the strongest argument you have about him is he couldn't beat out C.J. Stroud, well, okay, that doesn't look nearly as insulting as it did.
1: Right? Yeah. I mean, and I mean, the early things I've seen from viewers yours is goodness, man. He's got an arm. Uh, I mean, he slings it. So uh, the the Manny thing will be it will be interesting though because it's such a just kind of an odd. Thing, you know, you wouldn't expect him to, to be going to Texas, but I guess, you know, I mean, the Sark thing really sold him. So, uh, yeah,
0: you know. And, and, well, you know, like, look, it's, it's Sarkeesian, but I mean, there's a reason why they call that man seven wins Sark.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: And by the way, that was seven wins Sark at what I think might be the most underrated job in the country. Like Washington is now, there's a reason why he got fired for winning seven games at Washington. You should consistently win nine games or more at Washington consistently because I mean Peterson got players to go there generations before Sark got players to go there. You should be able to get players to go play at Washington because there's only so many places for the California boys to go and the dudes that you know that are in Washington are around there, you're going to get those. Like I don't care how much money Oregon has, Washington should be better than Oregon three out of five years. Like that's the way that it should be and Steve Sarkeesian won seven games a year there. I don't know what the most realistic expectation is, but hey, if Archie thinks that Arch is best suited to get to the NFL playing for Steve Sarkeesian, then I guess that's the move that he's going to wind up making. I also think... Somehow, they must think it's going to be less pressure at Texas, and I would love to introduce that boy to Chris Sims so he can yeah. understand just what this might turn into.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that I don't, I don't quite get is, man, I mean, this is the most kind of like, you know, uh, publicized recruitment that we've seen in a long time, player effect, you know, putting him in that fishbowl, you know.
0: Yeah, but I mean, but also yours might also like quietly be the best thing for him in a way. Yeah. Um, Because remember this, Peyton Manning was like third or fourth string when he first got to Tennessee. Now, of course, that's a different era. Um, But maybe that's what it'll wind up being. I'm not sure. But by the time Arch winds up getting the job, young man, you better be ready to ball, man, because these expectations have been thrown up so high. And by the way, it's so wild. He's not even like it's not even like he's Peyton's kid.
1: Yeah. Right? He's he's the Cooper. kid of the wide receiver.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Let's talk a little bit about uh, about game theory, you know, the right time, man. Like, I wanted to, one thing I wanted to, like, commend you for is, right, I, like, game theory, I, obviously, I loved it, man. And, you know, I mean, I will tune in every week. But here's the thing, man. Like, at the end of the show, when I'm watching the credits go by, like, I'm looking at your writer's room, man. I'm seeing names like Tommy Craggs and rod morrow i mean these are guys that like i mean this is a whole new venture and i mean like i really commend you like for thinking outside the box in that in that sense i mean you know and bringing these guys in who are clearly really talented and really thoughtful dudes like but they're not you know your typical hollywood writer room or whatever you know what i mean
0: yeah, no, our charge from the top was to put together a non-traditional room and figuring out what that looked like when you I mean, I'm non-traditional enough, right? Mm. So I barely know anything about this world. But like, for example, when Rodson in his packets and his packets are great, I was very, very concerned about the idea that people thought I was just trying to hire my friends. And they were right. like, Nope, we're hiring him. You know, like it was a it was a push from outside. Of this Tommy was the same thing. HBO was really big on the idea. Of hiring Tommy and my outlook on all of it was, if you can write, you can write, and then we can figure out the format. And we had some infrastructural issues last season that honestly made it to where we probably will be a lot better with those guys this go round because our processes are going to be better and everything else. Our head writer this season, I believe, is twenty eight years old. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he's great. And he's excellent. Dude named Zach Rice. He's really, really <laughs> good. And so, yeah, when well, we're coming in on this one. It's not a room that looks like these other places, because what I, my charge and what I'm asking everybody to do, and I recognize this is going to be somewhat difficult, is I need it to look like you didn't write this because people know what my bars sound like. Right. Right. Like I'm going to come to you and I'm going to give you my ideas and give you an outline and give you what I'm thinking. But I want this written in a way that I can get up there and I can just talk about it. And it sounds something similar to what it is um, that we're doing right now. And that's the way that we're going about this. Like if this show sounds like other shows, then what's the point of having me? There's none. And so we're really trying to figure out how to make this something unique and how to make this something that is really true um, to the voice I have. Because I told this story in interviews before that when I looked at the deck that was sent to me before I did my first call about whether or not they wanted me to host the show, because the show existed before me. And I told them I said, hey, this deck, not for me. It's a comedian's deck. and like, I'm not a comedian this show perfect for me. And the reason that you need me to host this show is that sports fans take this too seriously. And you can't, <laughs> if you think you're going to have somebody coming here, just cracking jokes about this thing, they are not going for that. You need somebody who they take seriously, who can also tell the jokes. And I believe that I'm the only person on earth that can do this for you. Not that I'm the most talented person on earth, but there's just a very narrow overlap on this Venn diagram. And I'm the person that, that can help you do this and that's what we're trying to bring you know bring to life on this and so i think our season two is going to be much better than our season one was and i'll be honest our season one exceeded just about every expectation i had like i went back and watched it uh the other day and i was like oh wow this is better than i remember
1: (laughs) was trailer sneers your idea
0: Trail of Sneers is a Tommy Craggs original, I believe. <laughs> um, the that whole, and see, this dying. is the best part. Yeah, that the best part actually about like that whole museum was like we were trying to figure out what the first episode would be and I looked at the calendar and I was like, Selection Sunday, let's do something on Coach K because we needed something that we could do a deep dive on but that we could start working on two months in advance, which is not that easy, right? And so I'm on the phone with James Davis, my executive producer who I've known for now 21 years. And I'm just talking about the idea, just how Duke and Coach K have terrorized Black America for decades. And James says, what if we come up with a museum exhibit about Coach K terrorizing Black America? And so then we go from there and we send that back to the writers. And the writers come up with all their different ideas of what we put in the exhibit. And then I'll always remember the first day that we got into the office, I'm at a boardroom and they're presenting the schematics to me. And it's the first time I've ever been in a meeting where everybody's looking at me to see what my reactions are except I have a mask on. And so they're <laughs> yeah, all terrified.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're like Darth Vader or whatever, <laughs> man. Yeah. We're yeah. All... They can't tell. They can't yeah, tell. Exactly. I I'd never,
0: I'd never been in a meeting where anybody ever gave a damn about what I thought
1: ever. <laughs> oh man. Well, like Bo, I just want to say, man, like I've been listening to your stuff for a long time now. And uh, I have, and honestly, it has made me so much smarter listening like talking with you interacting with you listening to your shows and not only that but the people that you attract into your orbit like guys like rob morrow or you know i mean the stuff that you and, and dominic foxworth are doing right now and i knew Dominic from other stuff but you know what i mean like giving him a chance to have yeah. that kind of platform and and it's it's not I, it's clearly with you it's not a matter of i'm doing these guys a favor or whatever it's these guys are talented you recognize it and you're giving them a platform and I, I, my, I can honestly say that my life has been enriched by that. And I really honestly do appreciate the work that you've done in your career. So to this point, I'm so excited to see no, thank, what's next, man.
0: Thank you, man. And I say to you, and it like, and it comes in with Rod and particularly who I go back with like 2007 or whatever. And you know, you and I, I guess we go back now to like <laughs> Oh <Long> nine, <time,
1: laughs>
0: you know, but this is the thing about it is in Oh nine, I was hosting local radio. Right. Like I'm and I'm not like I'm hosting local radio in Philadelphia. Like I was doing local radio in Raleigh, which is not an insignificant market. But I wasn't in no terribly different situation than the people that I was talking to on Twitter, like guys like you or whatever. And so I could immediately recognize, hey, OU football. This guy knows more than I do. We can learn from each other about these things (laughs) and we can go back and forth. And so like with somebody like Rod the reason that I could kick it with him and we could talk about stuff in Oh nine that hasn't changed in all these years. Right. And so I've watched him build his own platform and make it what it is. That ain't have nothing really to do with me, except like some morning Jones overlap. And so for me, it's been so cool over the years that like, I have this job that I've got now and I've been able to use that to get some people on, but also I'm looking at what everybody else has managed to pull off. And, you know, when I look back at like from Oh nine to 11, really the circles of people that were all together, We all like it just wound up being a fascinating collision of a lot of things where all our orbits came together and we just had this really creative collective. And I'm I mean, I hope this isn't presumptuous of me to say, but I feel like I was fortunate in the sense that I could be the central node to bring a lot of these people together. Right. Like it was it just is like like we had game night at my house. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Uh, I'm so thankful that you uh, take time out to talk with me every year for this show. I love chopping up college football with you, man. OU Texas and all that and everything else under the sun, man. So thanks so much for joining us today, man.
0: No no problem, man. I will talk to you soon.
1: All right. Thanks again to our guest, Bomani Jones of ESPN HBO. Make sure to check him out on the Right Time podcast and season two of Game Theory. And if you like what you're hearing here, subscribe to our Patreon account at patreon.com backslash through the keyhole for just $4 a month to get access to our paywall shows on college football in the Oklahoma Sooners. For Through the Keyhole, I'm Alan Kenny. Take it easy.